Uh, my name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, if we haven't met, um, I hope I get to. Uh, and we're really glad that you're here. If you're tuning in online, really glad that you're doing that as well. Um, I don't normally start a sermon with a pop quiz, but today I'm going to. Now, most of the books will tell you you want to like build rapport with, with the congregation at the beginning, and pop quizzes aren't a great way to do that. But it's happening anyway, so buckle up, folks. Here we go. I'm going to read two Bible verses from two different books of the Bible written by two different authors, okay? As I read them, hold the first one in your head because I'm going to ask you to tell me what these two have in common, okay? You understand the assignment? Everybody's in? Great, here we go. Uh, verse number one, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says this, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. All right, that was number one. Here comes number two. You're looking for what they have in common. Colossians chapter four, verses five and six. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. All right, who thinks they got it? What do those two verses have in common? Kindness. Kindness, wrong. <laughs> Maybe it's right, but it's not the one I'm looking for. So let's keep going. Question and answer. Question and answer. There we go. Both of these verses written by different people different books of the Bible, make an assumption. And the assumption is that if you are living a life pursuing Jesus, people are going to ask you questions. Both of them say you got to be ready to give an answer, but you're only ready for an answer if the question is coming your way. Both of these seem to imply that there should be something different about the way that we live that people find questionable. So today's sermon is about how to live a more questionable life, right? <laughs> Just what you expected when you got here. Uh, I am hoping that after you listen to me babble on for another 20 minutes or so, you will make lots of questionable choices today. Um, because if we really are living a life that follows Jesus, we're going to make choices that other people don't make. We're going to behave in ways that other people don't behave. And so I want to talk about that today. What does it look like to live a life that makes people curious? That sparks just that little bit of intrigue in somebody who, who just sees the way that we carry ourselves and thinks something's different. And I'm interested to know more. Today's uh, practice, we're going to talk about what it looks like to live a life that actively seeks to be a blessing to other people. That we wake up in the morning thinking, how can I be a proactive force of good in this world? And then there's a lot of ways where that can be counterintuitive. I love that we had a Ted Lasso clip here, right? Because if you've watched that show, that's what's different about him. It's... I, li I like that show, right? There's converging storylines. His life is falling apart at the same time that he is putting everybody around him's life back together. 
He is this constant source of positivity and good. He's almost relentless in it. And that is, I, I think that is part of the invitation of how we have been invited to live as a response to who Jesus is in our life. So today, the practice that we're going to talk about building is how do we live a life that constantly seeks to be a blessing to other people. Now, I also, just as a side note, I know some of you are probably from the South. The kind of blessing we're talking about is not the kind carried in the statement, will bless your heart. Because if you're from the South, you know that's like the worst insult they have down there. Um, not that. We want to actually do good in people's lives. Now, there is a lot that works against us in living that kind of life, right? There's a, a lot of the current of the world we live in um, teaches us, trains us, moves us in the direction of thinking, what is in it for me, right? I, like, I mean, I think marketing, like commercials on TV is one of the best ways you see that. Like, I, I feel like one of the most common words in any commercial is deserve. You deserve this. And I think, I do deserve that. I, I do. I got to get a plan together. How do I get my stuff in order so that I can take care of and secure all the things that I want? Right? We, we, we learn that. But... There's a different way to live where, where we can decide, you can wake up in the morning and decide instead of thinking, what am I going to do today to move my agenda forward, to move my goals forward, to get more of what I need, what I want, and instead wake up saying, I am on alert, on guard, looking for opportunity, opportunity to do good in someone else's life. How do I plan for your best interest? How do I move myself in a direction to help you get what you want in this world? And you know what the real kicker about living a life like that is? Even though it's counter to a lot of what's in our nature, it ends up being the way more fun way to live. It tends, it's a blast, right? I'll bet if you were to rack your mind right now and try to think back throughout the whole of your life, what are some of the highlight moments, some of the, some of the real highs that you've experienced that some of those items are going to have to do with times that you made someone else's day, that you got to be a part of something amazing happening for a different person. That's the stuff that we remember. That's the stuff that we hold on to. Okay, let's break down a little bit about what it can look like to be a blessing in someone else's life. Because that's a fairly broad term. And it can be easy to think like, oh, well, that's like you got to do something like beyond belief and amazing, right? I had a conversation at the Vintage Bible Study uh, two weeks ago. Uh, we broke up into smaller groups and I invited everyone to share, hey, what's like the moment for you when you got real impressed with who Jesus is? And my friend Roger was telling me a story. Um, before he retired, he was, um, he was the owner-operator, he and his wife, of a very large like electrical um, engineering consulting installation sort of firm. And it all started, he was just an electrician working for somebody, barely making ends meet. And somebody said, hey, Roger, you, need, you can do more. And I want you to go out on your own, and I want you to work for me. I've got this bill coming up, and you're going to do it. And he said, well, I don't I don't have gear, I don't have equipment, I don't have trucks, I don't have employees. And he said, you can do this, I believe in you, I'm giving you the contract. 
And he said, I know a guy at the Chevy dealership. Go talk to him. And he walks in there, and the salesman takes him to the manager based only on the recommendation of somebody who doesn't even work there. And the manager says, you know what? I believe in you. And gave him a handshake deal and let him walk off with the keys to a couple trucks and vans in order to get this job started. He went down to the supply depot where he had to get all the stuff. Same deal, handshake deal. They said, I believe in you, right? That's a big blessing. By the end of the time, by, by the time he retired, he had over 100 electricians working for him. It became a big business that he was able to employ and provide for a lot of other people. Don't, like those stories are amazing, right? But not everything has to be this big grand story. Let's talk about some of the ways that we can bless people without it being like a Hallmark movie. So there's a couple ways. I, I, I tend to think of three major categories uh, within which we can seek actively on a daily level to be a blessing in other people's lives. The first is um, words of affirmation. Mark Twain once said that he could live two months on a good compliment, right? And there it's true that words have incredible, incredible power. When I was a kid growing up, we used to say... Um, Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. My wife, who is a counselor, has made sure I don't ever say that to my kids. Because the wounds that tend to last with us the longest actually come from words. And on the flip side, we have the ability and the power to do remarkable good with the things that we say. And sometimes that's just a, a simple compliment. Hey, I like your haircut. Looking good today. It's a great sweater. Sometimes it's asking the right question creating space to say, I would like to hear about this, and giving room for people in our lives to share the things that they need to share. In my, um, it's about 15 years I've been working in churches as a pastor, um, and sometimes people send pastors not very nice emails, but sometimes they send really nice ones. I have two um, two folders that I keep in my email at all times. And one is called crazy people. Because <laughs> some things you just got to remember, you got to hang on to those. And the other one is just encouragement. Times when someone, when we'd had an event or we'd done something or I had spent some time with somebody's uh, high school student, I was a high school pastor for a long time, and just saying, hey, this, this meant so much to me. Thank you so much for showing up, for doing what you do. And I needed that folder in my inbox, both to counteract the crazy people, but also because words can bring life. And being on guard, looking for opportunities to speak the word that will bring life to someone else can be an incredible and amazing blessing to somebody. Here's a second way. Call this acts of kindness, right? Just being nice. Do somebody a favor. Help, uh, help someone out. Uh, do your brother's chores for him, for those of you who still have chores. Uh, help a friend who has a house project. Surprise someone by doing something for him or her that isn't expected. Uh, when I was in college, I had a friend named Victor. And Victor had a practice that he had put into place in his life. And this is what it was. Uh, whenever we were at, you know, it's, it's like college, right? So you're always at someone else's house hanging out. Victor would start doing the dishes at anybody's house he went to. And I was in college, mind you, and a boy. So that usually meant a lot of dishes, and most of them pretty gross. 
But there Victor would be. He'd just walk in. He's talking. He'd walk into your kitchen, and he'd turn on the sink, and he'd find the soap, and he'd just start he'd talking to you while he's doing this. And, you know, the strangest thing happened. It didn't take that long until we were almost, like, fighting for the chance to stand next to Victor and dry the dishes. Because it feels good to receive that, and it feels even better to offer it. Like, what a funny thing. How many, like, 19-year-old dudes do you think just have this thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to do the dishes anywhere I go, right? Sometimes we have the opportunity to do grand, magnanimous things for people. But those opportunities don't come around every day. But all of us have opportunities every single day to do small acts of kindness and of service to bless other people around us. So like maybe, maybe like next time, maybe today you're going to go over to somebody else's house, right? Just ask them where the vacuum is and get to work. See what happens, right? All right, here's the last one. Gifts. Now this will surprise you. Most people enjoy receiving things. Um, and we can get into a habit of thinking about that. And like there are times that you're going to give or receive like big fancy gifts, but generally I find it's not the cost of the item that defines the impact that it has. It's the thoughtfulness that does. That tends to be what matters most. Um, Last week, my wife is in a book club, and they came over to our house on Thursday night, and uh, uh, unfortunately, I had failed to secure both children soundly asleep before they arrived, which meant bedtime was a nightmare. But while I was wrestling the little one to sleep, the big one, she's eight, she's in third grade, was sitting at her desk busily writing. And so when I got the little one, I walked in, I was like, what are you doing? Why aren't you in bed? And she wrote a note to every woman who had come to that book club. One of them she had just met for the first time. She, she called her Kelly, and I'd be like, her name is Kelsey, right? And then she walked down outside by our, we have a, a, a little ga- gas fireplace, uh, fire pit outside, and distributed these to these women. Little tiny gifts, right? But filled with thoughtfulness. Those things can really matter. I remember I had a time when uh, I moved here from California about six years ago. I was working at a church out there, and my wife and I, we're in a core group out there with a group of other couples with young kids, kind of in our life stage. And there's a day we just walk in a group, and one of the other guys in the group walks up and he tosses a present to me. It's wrapped, has a bow on it. I'm like, it's like, what is this for? And I open it up, and it was a pair of socks. And he said, listen, I was walking down the street, and there's one of those sock stores, you know, with just like all the weird socks in the window. And I saw these, and I just, I just thought of you, and so I stopped in and I got them. And so they had dogs all over them, and the, but the dog looked exactly like our dog. And it's like, Zach, I, these are just a random pair of socks. But it's the thought, wow, you were going about your day, something sparked a thought about me, and you thought, you know what, I'm just going to grab these socks. Wow, my friend thinks about me when I'm not around. I'm noticed, I'm seen, I'm remembered. These things speak. I was deeply blessed by that. I mean, it, it would have been over a decade ago that I received that pair of socks, and I still have them. I should have worn them today. But, you know, you know with vans, like the no-sock look, I'm told, is the way to go. So I, I didn't. <laughs> All of us do, on occasion, bless other people. Sometimes we stumble upon it. Sometimes we've been really thoughtful about it. We all do nice stuff sometimes. But we're talking about practice, right? 
How, do, how does that become a rhythm? How does that become a part of my life that doesn't just happen on accident, but that I keep doing it? And I think there are some steps that we have to make to ensure that these aren't just accidental, incidental, every once in a while sort of things in our life. And so there's, I, I like to think of it, I got a lot of lists today, kind of two things that we can build into our life to make sure that actively seeking to do good to other people isn't something that happens by accident, but something that happens regularly and on repeat in our life. And the first one is to commit to a job. You got to commit to a job. Show up every day, every week, every month, whatever it is, and know at this time, I'm going to serve. I'm going to help. You can do that here. There's a lot of opportunities. You could be a greeter on Sunday mornings. You could help in the cafe. You could be on the prayer team. You could uh, lead a core group. What a lot of people here do, they can't hear us right now because they're actively in kids' rooms, is help lead a group of children in our kids' ministry rooms. You know, Aisha said, I think it was 160 kids were here on Easter. That's a big milestone for this church as we've been kind of climbing back out of the two-year kind of recess that we were all put in. You know, I, I am somebody with kids. I've got two of them. And um, a core memory for my eldest daughter, Nora, um, at that church that I worked at in California is that I would take her every morning with me and every morning in the car, she would ask, is Angela going to be there? And I would say, I hope so. <laughs> Angela was her favorite volunteer. Angela was a middle school kid. And because she was always there, she knew my daughter's name. She loved my kid. My kid was excited to go with her dad early to church on Sunday mornings. Because Angela's going to be there. That's become a core memory for her. It's still not hard to get my daughter to come to church. Why? Because from the beginning, it's been a place where she was loved, she was served, she was blessed. She has warm memories and good thoughts about being in the church. And that is because somebody signed up. Somebody had a job. Somebody showed up every week. There are a bunch of ways you can do this. You know, I... I help coach my, my daughter's third grade soccer team, right? I signed up for that job. So twice a week and then at games on Saturday, I show up, I know these kids' names, and I encourage them. I'm, I don't know how to be a coach. I played a little bit of soccer, but not well. But I can show up, and you can show up too. It could be an animal shelter. It doesn't matter where it is. Your life, our life, my life needs a rhythm that keeps me in the practice of blessing other people, of helping other people. All right, so sign up for a job. Get into a rhythm like that. But the second way is to, is to practice spontaneous acts of blessing. And I actually recommend, I'm an iPhone user. I imagine that if you use one of those other kinds of phones that they can do this too. You can set just a little reminder. Here's, here's the goal, I would say. You gotta have a goal is try to spontaneously bless three people every week. Just pick three. And maybe even divide it into categories. Have it be one, have one of those people be somebody who knows nothing about this church, maybe nothing about faith, is just somebody you know from work, from school, from a team, whatever it is. Have one of the people that you bless each week be somebody from this community. And then you get a third one to use however you wish, right? But try it. Give yourself a reminder in your phone because at first you're going to need it, right? We have to retrain our mind. 
We have to retrain our thoughts and our actions in order to, like, like that, that is the core of what practice is, right? I practice doing something so that when it's time to perform, I can do it perfectly. I would encourage you to do that. And it can be lots of things. There are so many ways to bless people. You could, um, let's see. Um, coach a soccer team. Show up and, and do your job badly, but be really kind and know everyone's name. Maybe find somebody who has two really special, adorable, lovely daughters and volunteer to babysit once a month so that he and his wife can have a date night. Like, that would be a fun way to do that. That'd be cool, spontaneously. Um, write a card. The power of a handwritten card is remarkable when we live in a world with such um, generally quickly shot off communication. To receive something you can hold in your hand with handwritten words. Like, be spontaneous. Maybe that's you, um, you know, you, you're in the drive-thru at Starbucks and you buy the coffee for the person behind you. And then see how far down the line that can go. Maybe you pick up the tab when you're meeting a friend for lunch. They, these don't have to be huge things. But our heart changes and our life changes and beyond that, our community begins to change when we live from a posture of actively looking for opportunities to pour goodness into other people's life, to make other people feel noticed, feel cared for, and feel loved. I started today with a quiz. It was about how do we live a life that is questionable and I cannot think of any better way to make people curious about what your life is about than to be that person who is always actively looking to do good for somebody else. I think that kind of world sounds pretty great. I think that kind of church sounds pretty great. I think that kind of neighborhood that kind of workplace, that kind of school sounds pretty dang good. But beyond it just sounding good, I think there's another reason why that is a, a life worth directing ourselves towards. So let me start with a story. I've mentioned a couple times uh, that I moved here from the state of California. I grew up in Kansas City, ended up out there for school, ended up working at a church there. We came here about six years ago. So this story takes place in my last year in California. Uh, my wife and I moved. At the time, we had like a four-month-old. Um, have you ever moved? Super fun, right? It's like the best. Um, so we moved. Moving is weird because you're excited. We were excited about the new place we were settling into. Uh, I lived in the Bay Area, and you probably haven't heard this, but the cost of living is fairly high there. Um, and so we had been living in a house for a couple years that uh, did not have a breaker box. I had to go to Ace Hardware and buy fuses. They still sell those. Um, the house couldn't be heated. It had an antiquated, like, hydraulic um, radiant heat system, and it cost, like, about a million dollars a day to run it or something like that. So we couldn't heat the house. Uh, it also had no insulation. And while I did live in California, I lived in the Bay Area, so it wasn't, like, always warm. Um, and if we plugged more than one appliance in at the same time, the fuses would burst. So, 
So when Nora was little, we would have a space heater in her room, um, and my wife and I would put on puffy jackets to sit on the couch in the evening because it was so cold in the house because we plugged in another space heater, we'd blow the fuse. Um, it was awesome, and that was only $4,000 a month in rent. That's not a lie. That is the real number. Um, so we moved. We're moving to a place where we could heat, right? We had a baby, and our house was capable of heat. We're pumped, moving, yes. But also, uh, when you move, you get the opportunity to pick up every single thing you've ever owned and put it in a truck and then pick it up again and put it in a house and then spend a week not knowing where anything is. When, uh, at that move, I wore the same pair of pants every day for a week because I couldn't find any others. Um, moving is kind of like somebody um, giving you the world's most delicious cookie, but you also know it's going to give you terrible diarrhea, right? <laughs> like, it's going to suck for a while, but you're going to be okay in the end, right? So that, that's moving. So, so we make the move, and... We got a little baby, we both work full time, we are trying to get unpacked, and after we got there, we discovered um, that we lived in a very restrictive HOA. Um, and I had not been provided with the HOA documents. But fortunately, we had really friendly neighbors who helped us learn the rules. Um, what they would do, <laughs> I would wake up in the morning and either taped to my door or tucked under the windshield wiper of my car, I would find, um, not photographs, uh, Xerox, copies of whatever rule I had broken highlighted, <laughs> just left anonymously out there. Some of the rules that I broke and found out in the friendliest of ways. Um, you are not allowed to park in your driveway. Yeah, it's pretty hard when your garage is full of boxes and furniture and you have to park on your driveway. Um, yeah, yeah, that's a, a heinous crime against uh, humanity. Uh, yeah, um, I can see you're all on board. Uh, you are not allowed um, in Sharon Oaks. So don't move to Sharon Oaks if anybody's moving to California. Uh, you are not allowed in Sharon Oaks to leave a toddler-sized toy car uh, evenly spaced next to your front door, right? That's quite unseemly. Um, can't do that. Heaven forbid you're not waiting next to your trash can when the trash truck picks it up. Because if that sucker gets back in too late, you're going to hear about it. Um, well, let's see. There's some real, oh, oh, here's a good one. One time, I, I had been working in the garage, and my daughter went to sleep in a room above the garage, and I waited till she woke up to put the garage door down. Yeah. Can you imagine my poor neighbors <laughs> who, while not looking out their windows, were forced to know that there was an open garage door on the street. Like, oh, I, I still am filled with deep grief and shame um, for the way that I lived there. Um, and so it started off with just mean notes, anonymous me left, and then it got actually personal. A, a woman in our um, little subdivision, literally to my wife, while she was like getting the mail one time said, like let her have it and said, you don't know who you're messing with. Like who, like she really talked like that. People don't talk like that, except there. Um, <laughs> when I was practicing the sermon, like, I, I felt like PTSD came up, right? <laughs> like, this morning, I'm, like, grating my teeth. <laughs> remembering the guy across the street who, anyways. Um, all that made me super angry. It still does, right? That makes me so upset. I would just lie awake at night trying to get to sleep, just seething with anger. 
wanting to lash out, wanting to strike back, I would get so mad at my neighbors because I knew that I actually had broken these rules. Maybe I didn't think the rules were necessary, but I had broken those rules. But I craved for them to receive, to, to give me grace instead of judgment. I craved grace instead of judgment. And honestly, I, I feel like I deserved it. I mean, couldn't they see that we were trying? We were working full time. We had a baby at home. We're trying to get unpacked. We're doing the best we can. Can't you cut me just a little bit of slack? But my neighbors, I mean, you can probably still hear it in my voice, right? They were breaking rules too. They weren't codified in a homeowner's association agreement, but they were breaking rules of neighborliness, of kindness, of general human decency, and I did not crave grace for them. I wanted to be forgiven for my rule breaking, but I wanted all kinds of judgment for them. I felt like, you know, if a meteor were to fall on your house while you were out kicking puppies or whatever it is that you do when you're not making the world better by policing the HOA, right, then that was just, just desserts. You had that coming. I want grace for me and judgment for you. At the core, I want to be forgiven when I break the rule, and I don't want that for you. I want the worst punishment we can find for you. And maybe you can relate to that. I think there's a piece in all of us that can feel that way at times, and I think there's a name for that piece of us. And that name is sin. That's that broken part inside of us that wants one thing for me, that wants what I want, what I need, and is not thinking at all about what you need. Those feelings are a part of us. This series, we're talking about practice. It's all about building up the rhythms and practices in our life that will help us follow Jesus more closely. It's not a list of things that we have to check off, right? It's not a to-do list. It's not about what we do. It really is about who we become. The practices we embody in our life make us who we become. If we want to be following Jesus more closely, we get really conscious about developing rhythms and practices. And so let's take one look at what Jesus did in the same kind of scenario. Because, see, Jesus, what he did is he took all of the judgment onto himself, even though he had not broken a single rule. He hadn't hurt no one. He actively received the judgment and then extended grace to all of us. I crave grace and I heap judgment. Jesus pulled all the judgment onto himself and then heaped grace and forgiveness and goodness onto all of us. And that's really important for two reasons. One, I can think of no better reason that Jesus is so worthy of being followed. I can think of no other reason. That, that's the sort of thing that makes me proud of the kind of God that we have. And I also believe this, that that is the, the world as it was always meant to be, as it once was and as it will be again someday. 
That is the direction of the kingdom of God. When Jesus came, he said, he didn't say, hey, do this, 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 don't do that, 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 and believe these three things, and then when you die, you can go to heaven. He said, the kingdom of heaven is here. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. What did he mean? He meant that we can make a choice about the person we become, and we can choose to live in heaven right now, or we can choose to live in hell right now. And all of us know people who are living in hell, whose life has become untenable and gotten away from them and is broken and they are hurting and they are living there. Now, Jesus said, no, you were not made for that. This world was not made for that. It was not always like that and it will not always be like that. A day is coming when things will be different and Jesus is worth following for that reason. Here's the second reason. We do it because Jesus told us to. He called us to this kind of life. To follow Jesus means to do the same sort of things that he did. And if that sounds hard, it's because it is. And if anybody told you that following Jesus was always going to be this really easy cakewalk, they sold you a bill of goods, right? It's hard sometimes. You know what else is hard? All the best things in life. All the best things in life Don't come easily. So we make choices every day. Jesus said this in John chapter 20, verse 21. At this point in the the story of John, Jesus has already died. He has been crucified. He has been in the tomb for three days. And he has come back. He comes back after that movement of sacrifice to receive judgment and heap grace. And he comes to his people and he says this to them. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. This is why we bless people. Because Jesus did it. And because he set an example. And he said, just like I got sent to do this, I'm sending you. We have the opportunity to be the beginnings of change in our own life, in our own family, in our own workplace, on the teams that we are on, in the gyms that you work out in, in the clubs that you go to, whatever it is, in the community that is around you every single day, we have an opportunity to be the spark that begins to bring about the world as it was always meant to be and as it will one day be again. Will you pray with me? God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you that you are a God who does amazing things and who despite the privileges of your situation, you decided to actively reach out to pour goodness, grace, mercy, love, joy, forgiveness into our lives, God. And that you have trusted us with the job to do the same in the world around us. So God, I pray for each one of us here that today, this Sunday, May 1st, we would walk, we, before we even leave this room, as we stand up, that we would begin to shift who we are, looking for opportunities to pour the kind of goodness that you represent into everyone around us. It is in your name we pray, amen.